Good morning, Outlook family. It is good to see everyone this morning, whether you're here in the room with me or you're joining us online. It is simply good to be together. I'm excited to jump into God's Word with all of us. Today, I want to talk about collapsing houses and uncooked meals. And I want to talk about how those things talk to us or teach us about what it means to make Jesus our Lord. Josh, last Sunday, continued our series by helping us see so wonderfully what it means to have Jesus as Savior. And today, we begin to look at what it means to make Jesus our Lord. And we're going to begin with just the the touch point passage of Scripture that speaks to the importance of Jesus as Lord. It is Romans chapter 10, starting in verse 9. I just want to launch right in with this passage from the Apostle Paul. It says, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you profess and are saved. So the importance, the the meaning of this phrase, Jesus is Lord, would seem to be pretty pivotal. Now, there's more going on behind this passage that really helps us understand what Paul is driving at here. One important way that the Roman Empire demanded its citizens show their allegiance was to say formally, Caesar is Lord. Uh, By that point in time, Caesar had, whoever was filling the role of Caesar, had set themselves up as a deity to be worshipped. And Lord means supreme or ultimate authority. And so it was kind of a litmus test. It was a pledge of allegiance to the Roman Empire that at any moment you should be ready and willing to say, Caesar is Lord. And so saying Jesus is Lord is not just some, a nice thing we might say in church. It was a, an act of rebellion. It was a, a statement of defiance that said there is only one Lord and it ain't Caesar, right? That we've understood, come to understand that it is Jesus, Now, not to go too deeply into it in the moments that we have here, we're actually going to talk more about this when we talk about Jesus as King. But it's ironic, often, we have our own litmus tests today about allegiance and love of nation or or country. And it's ironic in our day today that it's often Christians who are the most vigilant and strident to see people pass that litmus test, linking love for God and love for nation. But the earliest Christians didn't fall for that. They began to see clearly there's only one Lord. And to say Jesus is Lord was risky. But they did it because they knew there was only one ultimate authority. They said, "Uh uh-uh, Jesus is Lord. And in fact, elsewhere in Scripture, he's described as the Lord of Lords, recognizing that there are plenty of lords out in competition for the title in my life and in yours. Let me take us to, pardon me, let me take us to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. The Apostle Paul says this. I think it's pretty illuminating for us as we live our lives day to day, even in our modern times. He says, For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many, quote, gods and many, quote, unquote, lords, 
saying there's plenty, there's plenty of little g gods, there's plenty of little l lords, there's plenty of ultimate authorities vying to become our Lord. He says in verse 6, though, yet for us. Someone say, yet for us. Yet for us. There is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live, and there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. But not everyone, he says, possesses this knowledge. In other words, it can happen to me, it can happen to you. We can end up good church-going people with lots of lords. Money can become our Lord. The media can become our Lord, directing us what to do or say or think. Politics, success, the news cycle, the stock market, ideologies and conspiracy theories, on and on and on. Any number of lords lined up to lead our thoughts and our feelings and our emotions, to direct our decisions and our words and our actions from day to day, to set the pace and ultimately the course of our lives. But we are people who have discovered the beauty of living under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Singularly, Him alone, our Lord. A couple weeks ago, we talked about the fact that Jesus is God, that He is uh, in every way 100% human and 100% God. And certainly if He's God, then He's nothing less than Lord as well, right? So let's talk a little bit more about what it means to make Jesus our Lord. With this background, let's now turn to some words of Jesus as he describes what it means to make him our Lord. So we're going to spend some time first in Luke chapter 6. Jesus asks a penetrating, convicting question. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Let's sit with that. For just a hot minute, all right? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? I feel like, I don't know about you, when he says that, I feel like a kid who's been caught, right? Like, oh, well, when you put it that way, uh, yeah, I guess I do have a bit of a problem. Because if we're all honest for even just a moment, if we've called Jesus Lord, we've also been someone who at some point decided to not take his direction, right? To not do what he said. I certainly have experienced that in my life. I'm going to guess that maybe once or twice you have too, right? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? It's a good question. It's an honest question. And I want Jesus to have the room to ask that question of us this morning. To illustrate what he means by that, he begins to tell a parable, paint a picture. As for everyone who comes to me, he says, and here's my words, and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. So, right now, we're already seeing that Jesus is showing us what calling him Lord is supposed to look like. And it's really simple to see. It looks like obedience, right? It looks like following direction, doing what he says, putting his words into practice. It's just that straightforward, at least in concept, right? Jesus says, anyone who comes to me, you're here this morning at least, ready to hear from Jesus in his word, so that's an awesome thing, who hears my words, that's certainly what we're doing right now as we hear Jesus' words from the scriptures, and there's that third part, puts them into practice. Now practice is a good word for what we're talking about here. We all know what practice means. 
I think sometimes we get hung up on, maybe, maybe I know I do, maybe you do, we get hung up on the idea that obedience to Jesus needs to equal flawless execution, right? Like a tightrope walk. I'm not getting out on that tightrope till I really, 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 really know what I'm doing because one misstep and boom. But that's not what I read in the scriptures. That's not what I hear from Jesus' heart as I look throughout what he and his earliest followers say as they describe what it means to follow him, what it means to make him our Lord. That's an idea we do well to get out of our heads because what we need to do is hear the words of Jesus and begin to practice them. We all know what taking direction looks like. This is very familiar for any of us. Uh, whether it's starting a new course of study in school, uh, we begin to figure out what do I know and what do I not know? What do I need to learn? How do I begin to get, gain that knowledge? If we take on a new position uh, at our workplace, we all know what it means to get direction on that. Here's how this works. Here's the procedure for that. Uh, learn this, and here's the reporting structure, on and on and on. It comes naturally to us. We don't question what it's like to learn how to do something, how to, how to work in a certain way, what we need to do to learn in a course of study. We know what it means to do something, to try it, to do it again, and then do it again, to learn and to progress. We do it at school, we do it in our jobs, and ultimately I have found discipleship to Jesus is not meant to be any different. Hear my words and begin to put them into practice. You're not going to get it right 100% of the time. What matters is that you're practicing, that you're taking direction, not from yourself as Lord, but from Jesus as Lord. Not from any of those lords lined up to direct your life and yank your chain and, and, and tell you what to think and do and how to react to other people, but Jesus is Lord. Not ourselves, not anyone else. And so it's really no different. When we say yes to Jesus, what we're saying is, I want to take my direction from you. And I'm going to hear what you say, seek to understand it with my brothers and sisters in Jesus, which is an awesome thing. And then I'm going to just seek to put that into practice in my life. And what you'll find, I can almost practically guarantee you, is that if you make that the compass, the, the position of your life, you will see that you're better at it today than you were yesterday or last month or last year if you just keep practicing. The thing is, the, the real bummer is, often this is what we don't do. We do fall for the idea that if I can't get it exactly right, I better not try it at all. And, and here's what, we will, what we'll, we'll then fall into. We read the recipe book, and we rarely ever cook. We come to church or we even read our Bibles, but we rarely ever really apply what's at what we take in. Imagine sitting down and just flipping through. Look at that cake, right? Does that not just look delicious? Imagine flipping through a recipe book, cookbook, German chocolate cake. You had me at chocolate, right? Okay. And you begin to think about how delicious that would be. And then you flip to the next thing. And, and, and there's butter frosting, creamy white frosting, fluffy white frosting. Oh my gosh, I love this. This is awesome. I've never really read a cookbook before. Um, there's so much good stuff in there. And imagine just reading and thinking about how delicious all that would be. And then putting it back on the shelf. And then the next day, reading some more. Far too often, I think, that we, we can fall into this very thing spiritually. We pick up our Bibles, 
We take, we take in what it is that the Lord has for us to do or to be, and we think, that sounds good. I'd like to apply that to my life. That sounds like a life that I really like. That sounds like a world I'd like to live in. This world tells us, for instance, that revenge is a dish what? Best served cold. All right. That's the world's recipe for how we should interact with those who hurt us. But man, when I begin to read God's recipe book, I begin to see something about forgiveness. And I begin to think, that sounds good. Forgiveness is a good thing. It's going to take a little work, I see here. It's got several ingredients. In fact, I got to move from that coldness of revenge. Jesus, I need you to begin to preheat my heart if I'm going to forgive anybody. But I'm going to get cooking. I'm going to give that a try. Or we begin to read how important it is to love everybody, right? Not just those we agree with and who agree with us, not just those who are easy to get along with, but everyone. Well, that's going to take some work too, Jesus. I'm not so sure I can do that today, but I see here what I need to do. One of the things I'm pretty sure we all might need to do to accomplish that one is ask God to spray some nonstick spray on our soul. Amen? I mean, that would be a really good idea. I, I have to admit, I think this is probably one of the biggest things, right? If we're going to get along in this world, we need the Holy Spirit's help in spraying some nonstick spray so that the things that people say and do, the th things they say and do about me or about you, don't stick, Right? We need that. And I'm honestly uh, convinced the Holy Spirit's happy to provide that. Or we begin to read a recipe about how tasty it is to serve other people humbly and to serve those in need. Well, if I'm ever going to do that, it says right here, I'm going to have to find all the pride and all the cupboards in my kitchen. I'm going to have to put it all together and slap it on the grill and turn the heat up way high, right? I'm going to have to cook that pride till there is no more. That that's part of the recipe as well. Or I'm going to give joyfully and readily, or I'm not going to be ashamed to share my faith. That means I'm going to need heaping helpings of generosity and courage. The important thing is that we read the recipe book and we begin to cook what we see, right? We begin to put it into practice. No more flipping through the cookbook and rarely cooking. Let's get cooking. Amen? Let's begin to see what Jesus has to say as something we're actually supposed to apply to our lives. Let's not just read the recipe. Let's taste and see how good the Lord is. That's what it says way back in Psalm 34. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. Now, maybe you've been doing that. Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time. And uh, I would encourage you, keep cooking. Don't live on yesterday's meals. Don't think about that time. Oh, remember back when we obeyed Jesus in all those ways? Remember when we served so, so, so much? And, and remember how, what a thrill it was to make a difference in other people's lives and to feel like we were really being used by God? Remember that? Don't starve your spirit by trying to just sustain yourself on what you cooked back then. No matter what your situation is, the kitchen of your soul is always open, and Jesus is ready to get to work. Amen? So keep obeying. Keep putting into practice the good words of our Lord. Jesus goes on. He's telling us what, this what, what it's like for someone who hears his words and puts them into practice. 
They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When the flood came, a tor the torrent struck that house, but it could not shake it because it was well built. Someone say well built. A well built life is one in which I am no longer in charge. I gladly defer to the master builder. He's my Lord. He's the one who made me, who designed me. He knows best how to build my life well, and I want to partner with him in building that life. And it starts by hearing his words and putting them into practice, just as if someone were choosing the type of foundation upon which to build, solid or unstable. Again, back in the Psalms, this has been true for so, so many centuries. Unless the Lord builds the house, it says there in Psalm 127, they who, they who build it labor in vain. That it is vanity, it is emptiness to try to build our lives on our own without the help of Jesus, without the wisdom and the guidance of our Lord. That's why it's so important uh, that when we gather together, just as we are right now, and we're hearing from God's scriptures. At least this is the way I look at it. These are not tips from the Bible on how to make your life better, right? That's not what we're doing here. Or how to make your career succeed or your relationships work. When we gather together, the Holy Spirit among us and the scriptures open before us, we are issuing yet again a call to obedience to a living Lord, we are issuing a call to allegiance to the Lord of the cosmos and the Savior of humankind. That's what we're doing. When we begin to orient our lives with Jesus as Lord, many, many other things, great things, begin to flow and work and align in our lives, our relationships, you name it. But these aren't tips from the Bible on how to make things easier or better or more effective or successful. This is a call to make Jesus Christ the Lord of our lives once again. Never gets old. Never becomes irrelevant. It's exactly what I need and I'm guessing we all need to hear. Now, if that's something that's interesting to you, you'd like to learn more about that, maybe that's kind of new to you, you can always go to outlookchurch.org yes, reach out to us. We would be happy to talk more about what it means to follow Jesus. Now, uh, I want to jump to a, another, another thing that Jesus says here in the middle as he's painting this picture. Uh, this is the appropriate moment to hear something else he says about what it means to make him our Lord. In Matthew 7, not far from this basic place where Jesus is talking, Jesus also makes this point. Yes, you can identify a tree by its fruit, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. And he goes on, not everyone who calls out to me, and here it is again, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do, someone say actually do, actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. He's saying there's this life that I'm calling you to. You won't enter that life by merely agreeing with me, but by obeying what it is I lay out for you to do. There's this parable that Jesus tells, really short. It's in Matthew 21. It's called the parable of the two sons. And Jesus says, there's this dad who has two, two sons. And to the first son, he says, son, go today and work in my vineyard. And, and the son says, ah, I'm not going to do that. But later he changes his mind and he goes and he spends the day working in dad's 
vineyard. He goes to the other son, says the same thing. Son answers, you bet, dad, I will, sir. But he will not go. He doesn't do any work in the vineyard. And then Jesus asks a simple question. Which of the two did what his father wanted? You can catch the, the idea here. Those who actually do, which one actually did the will of the father? Not which one said what he thought his father wanted to hear. Not which one checked off all the boxes of what would put a smile on his father's face at the moment. But simple. Which one actually did what the father wanted to see done? And then he goes on. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? That means to boldly speak out God's truth, even with spiritual insight. And in your name, drive out demons and in your name, perform many miracles. So Jesus is using hyperbole. He's using exaggeration. He's talking about some of the most outstanding and amazing things that probably anyone could come up with when it comes to what it means to do something in the name of God, right? I cast out a demon or, or I prophesied and, and spoke this great truth or I even performed miracles, right? Few, if any of us, could probably attest to doing that. So he's using this extreme. People who even say that they do that will hear this. I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Jesus is saying that you didn't do life with me. You didn't truly pay attention to what I said and began to apply it to your life. You just thought these perhaps signals of your faith or, or some grand gesture or, or even some supposed mighty act was going to be the thing that would get my attention when really I just want to know you. I want to be known by you. I want to do life with you. And I, I just want you to listen to what I actually say and begin to practice it in your life. In a way, that's kind of a load off, right? Because when you begin to hear and see what it is Jesus wants us to do in life, it's not that it's all easy, but it's not a grand uh, acts of uh, amazingness, right? It's not the kinds of things we're talking about here. We're talking about simple, steady obedience and love. You didn't do what I said. You didn't do life with me. Now, in our, own, uh, in our own modern day, we might, you know, you and I might think, well, hey, you know what? I attend a church, right? Didn't I attend church? Lord, Lord, I attend a church. Lord, Lord, look at all the money I spent on this big Bible. Or I applied all the good advice of the TV preachers. Or my social media feed was perfectly curated with edifying scripture graphics. Lord, Lord, doesn't that count for anything, Right? But he just wants to say, I know you and you know me. You heard me and you sought to obey what it is you heard. Every Monday night during this series, we've been doing this thing called Cutting Room Floor. It's a Facebook Live on, uh, on our Facebook Outlook Church family group. If you're not a part of that, you can check that out and, and, and get, get in there. And we'll do it again tomorrow night on, uh, at 7 o'clock. Last week, of course, Josh was on Monday night because he preached on Sunday morning and I was tuning in and uh, I'm going to pick up off of his cutting room floor a quote that he used in the video Monday night and slide it right here into my sermon this morning because it perfectly uh, captures what we're saying. This is from one of the commentaries that he had consulted in his sermon preparation. It says, never make the mistake of thinking that we are disciples simply because we agree with what the Bible says or go to church. A disciple is a person who has stepped beyond mere agreement to definite action. He has committed himself to do. There is that word again. 
to do. And so let's just briefly ask ourselves, what does Jesus teach us to do? Love your enemies, serve those in need, support each other, give, forgive, pray, work on not worrying, shed light wherever you go, control your anger, learn not to lust, don't judge others, know his word, worship in spirit and in truth. These are just a few of the things that Jesus teaches, and they all sound pretty good, right? I like those recipes. I'd like to apply some of those to my life. When I hear Jesus describe that, I'm thinking, I want a life like that. I'd like to live in a world more full of that. Most of those were taken from just his teaching right before this passage of Scripture that we're focusing on. It's, what called, it's in what's called the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, if you want to check it out. See, when Jesus is Lord, he shows up in our to-do list, right? And on our calendar. He changes the things that we say and do. And when we think these things will happen automatically, we're just kidding ourselves and we end up stunting our growth. Hear what Paul says to the Ephesians. He says, carefully determine what pleases the Lord. In other words, really find out. Carefully determine, measure it out. Find out what is actually necessary to please the Lord, to live the life that puts into practice what Jesus says. A little later, he says, don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. In other words, take it seriously, man. Jesus said it. I want to learn how to do it. And like I said, I won't get it right all the time, but I do want to get better and better at it. That is choosing a foundation on solid Rock. So because Jesus is Lord, we're his humble servants. We gladly yield and submit ourselves to him. We lay down being our own Lord, which is an exhausting and fruitless exercise, and we find fulfillment in keeping his commands. So my question to us this morning is not, are you perfectly executing every direction of Jesus? I'm asking simply if we have made Jesus' direction the compass of our life. Because too often, we approach a been there, didn't do that, bought the t-shirt anyway kind of approach to faith. Here's, where, here's how Jesus wraps it up. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Falling, houses falling down are no fun to say the least. Let me close with a story. This is a photo of the home in which I grew up. For well over 120 years, uh, it sat on State Road 13 up in Madison County. Um, been in my family the whole, the whole time. The highway was just a dirt lane back when it was built, but as times changed, you can see the highway uh, came ever closer to the front of the house. We heard the cars and the trucks and the tractor trailers zooming by all the time. One August morning in 2006, as I was living down here in Indianapolis, getting ready for work, my dad called me and he said, turn on Channel 6 News. And there on the screen from the point of view of the hovering news helicopter was our farmhouse. A young man had fallen asleep at the wheel after his night shift at work, lost control of his pickup and launched it through the front of our house. Now, mom and dad were living next door by then. They were renting the house to a family. And amazingly, even miraculously, no one was hurt. One lady was within, within inches of the truck as it came through right by her recliner. But she was fine. 
And the house stood. But the damage was severe enough and the house old enough that it was declared a total loss. And now, whenever we drive up to visit, I'm drawn to this little piece of grass now that was the site of where my boyhood home stood. So we think about what Jesus has just told us about a life and how to build it. When you and I hear those words and neglect putting them into practice, we become a lot like that empty spot that I'm drawn to where a house used to be a home. A, prom- a place where promises used to be kept, that becomes our souls. A place where differences used to be made. A place where Jesus used to be obeyed. The thing about Jesus' parable is both individuals are building. They're busy building houses, building their lives. We all are. But they've each chosen very different foundations. I'm building my life and you're building yours. But the question is, who's our Lord and on whose foundation are we building? How solid is it? There's only one, ultimately, that's worth it. And that's the one with Jesus as Lord. Amen? Let's pray about that. Lord, this morning we're reminded of a very simple but deeply profound truth that all the Lords in competition in our life, you're the only one worth paying any attention to. You're the only one worth our allegiance and our love, our devotion. And so we give it to you again this morning. Lord, I pray that for everyone who heard this message, that there's a movement in their heart. Maybe it's a very, very, very first step towards you. Or maybe it's a step that's been long in coming but needed back to you. Lord, we want you to be our Lord. With us in charge, nothing seems to really work quite right. So, Lord, we give you ourselves, our whole lives, our day-to-day. We make you Lord because that's who you simply are. Accept our prayers this morning in your precious and powerful name. Amen.